Welcome back to the Mom Mentality Show. My name is Austin Chadwick and co-host is uh, Chris Lucian. And today we're uh, again very excited to have back uh, Mary and Tom uh, Poppendick. Um, we had a fantastic conversation with them last time uh, talking about um, uh, outcomes, not outputs. And then, uh, you know, responsible uh, leader or single-threaded leader, a responsible engineer and a champion. And uh, as if you saw that previous episode, which we'll put in the show notes, uh, we had some follow-up questions. So this is the second instance of the episode to uh, uh, kind of uh, go through some of those follow-up questions and discussion. Um, but before jumping in, just in case someone hasn't seen the previous episode, uh, uh, Mary and Tom, can you uh, both introduce yourself, uh, starting with Mary? Sure. I'm Mary Poppendick, and I've been started programming in 1967, so you can do the math. Um, when I was a junior in high school, uh, I've worked at various places, mostly as in engineering departments, programming equipment, and, and um, uh, at 3M, I did process control for great big roll good processes. Um, also was an IT manager in a manufacturing plant and did some corporate work with other manufacturing plants. And then retired at the end of 98 and started writing books. And what I tried to do was write about how to bring the concepts of lean that we used in our manufacturing plant into the software development world. I'm Tom Poppendick. I'm a physicist. As a physics professor, I taught, among other things, Pascal and machine language programming back in the 70s and early 80s. Um, I spent time as a um, systems engineer, uh, first with Honeywell and then as a consultant, retired when Mary did in about 2000, and have been pursuing this retirement hobby ever since. <laughs> right, on, right on. Well, it's great to have you both back. And uh, I have to say, when I watched back the previous episode, I, I, I you know, it, it, it's spurred on some other conversations, uh, you know, with team members and stuff. And I really learned a lot from it. And I really liked what you were talking about. Um, I, I'll eventually go to one word, um, but it, I know you were talking about like a champion on a team, a single threaded leader, a responsible engineer. And I really like a lot of the things you're saying, but there's one area that um, raised a lot of questions for me. So hence all the stickies and notes I took last time, um, which was on the plurality of those nouns. So I noticed that it, it seemed to be intentional that those nouns were singular as opposed yes. to plural. Yes. Yeah. And so I thought that would be a great uh, rich area to talk about because uh, just to share from my experience real quick, I've seen successful teams where it was singular. There was, you know, a responsible engineer who was the champion. I've also been on uh effective teams where it was multiple people, you know what I mean? And so, uh, yeah, what, what's your experiences and what's your take? Um, and the teams where you had multiple people, were you running into lots of really tough problems? Yes. <laughs> and whoever happened to be the most knowledgeable took over, would that be sort of what happened? Well, yeah, it depends what you mean by takeover, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's pretend that, let's do a pretend. You hire an engineering firm to do something. We are having a, a solar roof installed on this house, okay? And we have a solar engineering company doing very complicated stuff, including interacting with the utility, making sure that we got our permits and our funding, 
and our, our rebate stuff back from the electrical company, all the panels on order, all of the, we have to have new electrical stuff in the garage and stuff like that. And you know what? I have one contact and I like that. So if you look at a team from outside and the team is doing very complicated stuff for somebody, that somebody probably would like to know who they need to interact with in order to answer questions and make sure stuff gets done. And from that perspective, there is a person inside of the team, things may shift around. If, if there's a really complicated problem and there's a competent leader, that competent leader will turn the problem over to the most knowledgeable people. But on the outside, when you have somebody struggling with a complex engineering problem, you like to look at the team and say, who do I talk to? Not let me guess who I'm supposed to talk to. The size of the team, the size of the problem matters a lot. Um, as Mary suggested, there should be one overall responsible person, but that one person cannot possibly be knowledgeable enough or keep track of sufficiently detail to provide the leadership for the entire effort. Um, often it's a technical issue. Um, in the manufacturing world, the details of manufacturing, the details of engineering, the details of marketing and design, the details of sales, the details of supply chain and all the rest of that um, are beyond the knowledge of any one person. So each of those areas has to have people that are, that are knowledgeable and capable in those areas. The lead person makes sure that all of the decisions that are made at all the different levels coordinate, that they work together, that they end up meeting the overall impact and outcome that's desired for the whole work. Um, but within each subdomain, there needs to be a different person. level responsible for that subdomain. I have, I have another way to think about it. Think about um, bands, all right? Now, if you go see a jazz band and they have four or five people, what you'll notice is from song to song, a different person steps up and does the countdown and gets everybody started. But if you have a band with 30 instruments, you will have a conductor. And every so often the conductor will turn the, the thing over to a lead singer or a lead violinist or something like that. But basically you have a conductor to keep all 30 people in sync. And it's not really optional because there are too many people. It's really optional when there's only five in your jazz band. Mm. So that's another way to think about it. If you are doing something that requires coordination over more than just a very small handful of people, uh, almost every discipline out there appoints a leader. Mm. Every yeah. engineering discipline, musicians, you name it, army units, there's a leader. There's a responsible person. Nice, nice. And, and I might take it to Chris here because he has more uh, duration of experience on what I'm about to share. But uh, yeah, so to be, to be real transparent, the, the, the examples I had in mind where it was responsible engineers in the plural uh, sense was um, teams that were in between the size of three and 12. So depending upon whatever 
you know, a case I'm thinking of at that moment where I, I saw it go well. And, uh, you know, so things that, you know, that, that challenge of who to talk to when there was not an assigned point of contact um, and who, so to speak, uh, sets the tempo for the jazz band, right, at a, at a meeting or something like that. Um, we've been running experiments with that. And so one of the things we'll do is, you know, uh, we'll have a rotation board for who facilitates the next meeting with, you know, this, mm -hmm. this product person or this customer or the next this or that. Um, and, and then as far as communication goes, uh, usually we'll direct feedback to a group, either email or group chat kind of thing. And then if something new comes in, the team will get together and discuss. And then people will rise and say like, hey, you know, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to pair off with this person. We're going to work on it or, you know, a mob will take it or something like that. Uh, but I know, Chris, you have a longer history of dealing with the problem of responsibility is given to a team as opposed to a single person and how all the logistics are work out. Did you have anything to add in there? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I just I do think that uh, that that sort of job that 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 point of contact can can be reimagined, especially in like a digital remote world. Um, and so, you know, last five years or so, the experiment has been to, um, you know, essentially have groups of people responsible for these things and making all that information available. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with diligently, um, you know, making sure Kanbans exist for every funnel of requests and, and things along those lines, right? So, so there is there's a level of, um, I guess, retrospection happening. So, so for example, uh, I think that facilitation of the meetings, uh, that example that you used, Austin, um, that came through retrospectives, right? It was like, okay, um, you know, one person from the outside of the team is becoming really highly dependent on, on one person inside the team for all of their updates, all their information, all the technical discussion. Um, and uh, and so that also kind of like creates you know maybe a uh, um, that that single funnel which can can be uh, a joy to work with but also may end up being um, a little bit of a silo right like uh, oh yeah and so so if you're if you're dealing with turnover or something along those lines then um, you 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 know uh, making it so that. The person from the outside has experience talking to multiple people. That was a little bit of uh, of where some of those things um, were implemented. Uh, it, kind of the the internal chaos monkey sort of thing. So so uh, rather than doing what Netflix does to servers, as far as chaos monkey goes, uh, you know, shutting them down randomly to make sure that their production keeps going, we do the same thing with people. We rotate them. You know, nice. teams, right. Um, and so it's kind of an interesting experiment and, and it, it does seem to work uh, and, and, and be effective. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're still experimenting towards that. So I, I don't know if that's what you're getting at Austin, but um, that is uh, a little bit of- The experience yeah. that your customers have- Yes. Is not just a software interaction experience. Yeah. It is a hardware, interaction. It is a software interaction. It is a support interaction. It is an upgrade interaction. 
and the overall experience that produces the outcome that they're paying you money for is not just software. So you have to be thinking larger than just software teams. You have to be thinking in terms of the entire product team. Yep. And that is a little bit different problem than optimizing creation and maintenance of software. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction here for this discussion. So that's your that's your concert band rather than your jazz band. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it's kind of interesting because different organizations have very different uh, makeup uh, makeups, and so uh, I, you know I've I've seen organizations where hardware, firmware, software are all kind of part of the same team, and I, I think that that's um, a little bit of uh, um, of what you had kind of been talking about, right? Um, and then I also see organizations where they're all separate teams and have handoffs to each other, right? Which is like, you know, kind of fundamentally not necessarily the lean way to go about it. Um, but- uh, not. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And so totally acknowledging that um, the, uh, yeah, in scenarios, um, and I think our scenario that we're talking about, it's, it, they are, you know, more or less separate teams. And so there, there's kind of like this overarching goal of, you know, connecting to the hardware um, and passing things between uh, between groups. But um, yeah, so, so maybe these are just two different things that we're talking about, right? Well, uh, I would like to acknowledge this worry that you have is a big concern of mine. And that is yeah. a single point of contact that everybody must go through, then yes. becomes a very narrow view upon both the technical side and the customer side. And the job of who is ever the responsible person is to get the people in touch with the problem yeah. as opposed to funnel the problem through them. And if you see the job that way, um, and, and I remember when I was a champion at product teams at 3M, the whole game was to move technical people to talk to lead customers, to move um, the, the team members and get them in direct contact with the problem. And to make that happen, required a person to set up the meetings and organize the logistics and stuff. But if you have a single person that's a funnel, that's, yeah. and this is very easy to degrade into that situation, if you have one person, then you have a problem. I totally agree. And so that person almost becomes like a broker almost to, to all these incoming interactions for the team are. Uh, if, yeah, if they see their job as being the funnel rather than the, the person that connects the problem with the people who are going to solve it. Yeah. So in my imagination, it's the person who's connecting the right people with the issues that they have to face and making sure that everybody sees the issues and can act on them with their in, you know, individual expertise. Yeah. So creating more channels rather than becoming an individual channel. But I can see how the same name, same title can degenerate easily into the wrong kind of, of uh, responsible person. Yeah. Yeah, because you definitely you, can see that. The, the risk there exists there, like the ivy, ivory tower architect kind mm -hmm. of archetype, right? And, and that, so, that can yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there is there that that really has to be guarded against, but mm -hmm. one can go too far. Sure. Yeah. On both sides here. So this is a like, where's your happy medium? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and 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 I think maybe maybe this is less of a um, singular versus plural, you know, with the responsible engineer versus responsible engineer singular versus responsible engineers plural. And maybe it's a mindset thing. So I'm trying to put the two together. Um, so uh, one of the books I've been reading recently is um, Turn This Ship Around. And, and what, yeah. one thing that I saw that you were talking about, Mary, was um, that even if the person isn't an official leadership position, their role isn't to, like you said, be the funnel or be the one who, you know, just decides everything, thinks of it all themselves, and then hands right. out little tasks to everybody, right? The Instead of, of leader that. follower, it's a leader leader, right? So they're trying to raise up, they're trying to make those channels, they're trying to do those things. So maybe even if someone was in this kind of role, but then they made sure that they were growing up and raising up other leaders or other well, that, responsible to me, leaders. That is the job of a leader. Right. And that was what I learned when I was a, you know, leadership in leader in training is that your job is to, what I was told was, you know, um, you are one person. You can do just this much. You have just as much capability and ideas. And here are eight more people. And your job is to leverage the smarts and intelligence of all eight of those at the problem to be solved, not just yours. And the better you do that, leverage all of their intelligence and skills at that problem, the better you are. And with that mindset, um, there were leaders, but their job was to make sure that the group that they were leading, every one of them had opportunity to reach their maximum potential. Mm. A further condition was that you'd never get a promotion unless you had prepared one of the people in your group to replace you. Oh, yeah. That is pretty strong. Yeah, and, and that, that's like a big thing, I think, in succession planning in general, um, is that, and, and I think a lot of organizations don't really think about succession planning in that way uh and so i think that you know we we, we learned that when we were first line supervisors yeah <laughs> you want to get promoted figure out who's going to take your job <laughs> yeah make sure they're good at it <laughs> the military has always done that because you never know when the uh top person in the group is going to depart yep. so when you're thinking of singular you also have to be very careful what you mean by leader <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, that that was great. That that really answered my question and helped a lot. And um, uh, yeah, and so maybe this is a good time to transition to the next topic, um, which was I think you started hit on a little bit, Tom, where you said uh, you know we have to think of the whole uh, value stream, right, and not just software. You know, so um, so if you're in a domain that requires more than just software. Um, which is one me and Chris find ourselves in uh, often. <laughs> um, and so the, the, the thing that I struggle with lately, and maybe, maybe this will just be a therapy session uh, for me a little bit, but <laughs> is when there are inherently uh, dependency, there's dependencies for the whole value stream that are inherently slow, right? Yep. Um, we're, there's that dependency. way. What's that? Hardware <laughs> is that way. I lived in that world most all my career. Yes. Yeah. So they're like, you know, they're, we're, we're dealing with one right now where um, we can turn around the software real fast, but uh, you know, you know what people say with the pandemic, oh, value, uh, what's it? Uh, uh, supply chain issues, right? Whatever. So <laughs> a hardware part is on back order for months, right? And yep. so 
you know, so part of me looks at the value stream map and feels guilty. And then part of me is like, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> you know, uh, but and you so, probably can. Yeah. But, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is a classic hardware software system problem. Right. And um, there are classic solutions known to people who deal with very large scale systems. Mm -hmm. And they boil down to um, what I like to call is uh, integrating events. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you take a, a project that's yay big, right, this big, you want to divide it into maybe six pieces. So if it's two years, it's like every couple months or every three months or something like that. No more than one, two, six weeks, two months, three months, something like that. And, and you schedule a demonstration two months from today. And this is what we are going to demonstrate. And all the teams from all the, the hardware, the software. Now, should the hardware not have a piece of hardware, then there's going to have to be an agreement up, but we're going to simulate that or something like that. Typically, simulation of hardware before it arrives is really common. And most people that have long delayed stuff routinely simulate all of their hardware and so that they can just drop it in and have tests on the hardware when it arrives to make sure it behaves the way their simulation expects it to. So um, you have an event that's two months from now and it won't move, it's gonna happen two months from now. And the objective of that event is to do this, to prove this. Just take like a Tesla test of a booster rocket. It's gonna go up in the air. We want it to try to land on a ship or something like that. Now, everybody knows their part in that next event what their team, their component is expected to do. They're expected to understand its role and they have to come up with some way of making that thing work. Maybe it's not the final way. So maybe there has to be some way of simulating or something like that, but everybody has a role in that event. And then you have the day when the event happens and you see what goes wrong. You actually are not looking for perfection. You're looking for when we put it all together, what's gonna break. And that's why all those rockets exploding as the SpaceX tested their boosters was considered the way you do good engineering. So these integrating events are when you test everything. So I wanna give you an example. We were at a company in the outskirts of London that was doing massive warehouse automation for home delivery of food. And they had just gotten a contract for building warehouse for a big food chain in the US. They'd only done their own up to that point. It was a sort of a you bet your company kind of a thing. They had 18 months and they had um, the software group, which I was working with. And then there was a hardware group that they had to interact with. And to put it, to, to make it even more interesting, the person who'd invited us to talk about, you know, agile stuff was, had been fired and this was his last day. So I was talking to an essentially skeptical group of people <laughs> that, that didn't even invite us. And I was listening to, I said, well, you know, like, what's your big problem? And they've defined this problem. And so I looked at all of them and I said, okay, so 18 months from now, you bet your company, you're going to have to have an automated warehouse up and running in the U.S. And as far as I can tell, you don't have a plan on exactly how you're going to make that happen. And they said, yeah, <laughs> nor do you have a lot of good interactions with your hardware people who are into intimate with making that happen. And they said, right. I said, okay, so that's your problem. And they looked at us and they said, well, what do you recommend we do? And I said, 
classic hardware software engineering says you should have integrating events. Since it's 18 months from now, you should start no more than six weeks apart, maybe 30 days, and have something you schedule like tomorrow you get together and you decide what are we going to do in six weeks? What are we going to prove? Okay. And it's got to be a hardware software integrating, you know, across the board thing that everybody agrees on. And then in six weeks, you're going to make it, test it and see how it works. And then at that point, you see what you learn, you schedule the next one and you keep going like that through the, okay. So towards the end of that 18 months, I got an email from one of the people that we had been talking to there. And he said, I just want you to know, and I didn't explain it for very well. It couldn't have been five minutes when I explained the concept. And they said, we just want you to know that after you met with us, we scheduled an integrating event for six weeks later. And it went interestingly and well. So we scheduled one for six weeks after that. And it was incredible how far we got because of that. And right now we have no idea how we could work any other way. And we're gonna make our deadline. And it's because you force integration across all of the systems early and regularly, and you don't change the deadline. Okay, there's no, I don't know if I can be done. That's not the game. It's, we all agree that at this point in time, we're going to do something to make this true. Might not be the final thing, we're going to do something to make this true. And typically when you're under the gun like that, you have a plan A, a plan B, you know, maybe even a plan C. One you're sure will work if the other one doesn't, and one that's kind of aggressive and you'd like it to work, but you'll always have something to take to the demo because the demo isn't going to not happen. Uh, the deadline doesn't move. And the integrating events like that are really classic hardware software um, integration mechanisms, especially when the departments are not necessarily the same. And again, they're usually orchestrated by a principal engineer that schedules and gets everybody together to decide on what's gonna happen at the next one. But the actual event is like, everybody has to talk to each other because you've gotta know what your component does and how it's going to interact with the other components to prove whatever it is you're trying to prove at that integrating event. Mm -hmm. So as you go along the large-scale systems with disparate teams, you need to be scheduling integrating events that lead up in the end to having the thing working. And you don't expect perfection at an event. You expect discovery. You expect maybe things won't work. You also do not allow people to say, well, we can't be ready. That's not, that's not a concept. You will yeah. have something, okay? You have something to, however weak and small, however much of simulation rather than the real thing, there has to be something to prove that it works. So if you're a software team and you know you won't have hardware, you have to have a simulator mm -hmm. um, because otherwise you can't do your piece. And um, I know that when I was doing testing for our installations of our big roadwoods process control systems, I probably, I, I just instinctively built simulation for every single thing that my system was supposed to do because I wouldn't hook to the hardware till it shipped like, you know, four months before startup. And I go there for the last, you know, six weeks or so. And I didn't want to stay any longer. I had little kids at home. So, I made sure that there was nothing about the system that I put together that could possibly have been wrong that I could logically test in any way. And then when it went out there, the only thing that needed to be tested was 
the, the kinds of race conditions and stuff that happen when you actually put hardware and software together for real. And the logic was completely tested. So the concept of having integrating events across the system is almost every large scale system that works. It's, it's the classic way that they work. And um, you have to have somebody that at least puts those events together, describes the objectives, make sure that they happen. And um, beyond that, you can have the individual groups, but these things have to schedule sort of, you're increasing your confidence in the way the system works uh, one step at a time with the steps sort of geared to make sure that by the time you get to the second last one, you're, you're, you've pretty much proven most of the stuff. Yeah. And when you do that, because you have to show stuff long before hardware arrives, you probably can drop hardware in when it comes because you've proven all of this, because you, in order to do the integrated events, you have to simulate stuff. You just, you can't do it otherwise. Yeah. Typically, um, people do not create simulation of those other guys' stuff. I'm writing the software, you know, what are you gonna do with the hardware? I'll test it when the hardware comes. You, you don't do that. You, it isn't a concept if you have to have integrating events where you have to prove stuff. And, and so- it's kind of funny because I think that everything that you described, uh, I think has been uh, essentially our experience. We, even with hardware that um, pre-existing hardware, uh, I think what you had said earlier with uh, unit testing around the integrations with that pre-existing hardware, that, that happened uh, kind of naturally. Um, and very similarly hardware that we don't have, uh, you know, almost immediately there's a simulator uh, yep. that's available. Um, and then the integrating events, it's, you know, it's interesting. So, so we have multiple products, but, um, you know, essentially monthly there, there's always a, a kind of, um, well, monthly there are integration, uh, demos that happen and often they are with simulators. Right. So, um, is there a really interesting thing? So, um, are you integrating yeah. events by product? No, every, every product at the same time will show their, their current set of integrations. And so- Okay, so, the, so what I'm thinking of is a little bit different. Yeah. And that is you think of a product as mm -hmm. a thing that's going to be delivered to a customer that has to have these 10 capabilities. Yep. And you're integrating events or testing capability one and two in the first event, capability three and four in the second event, five and six in the third event and stuff. But it's everyone that I know of is geared towards taking the whole system, hardware and software for a single deliverable customer described, you know, capability product and integrating across that. It's something you might, if you don't do that, you might want to think yeah, about yeah. that. I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen. It's not scheduled based on where people think they will be. It's, it's on a regular cadence and it happens no matter what it, it always, but you're uh, showing what you can do now, right? Yes. yes. And there's always, okay. it's always and the integrating new. events for a large hardware software product are not that mm -hmm. they're in, they're in agreement that in six weeks from now, we will have this thing across the hardware and software that is a customer mm -hmm. capability. We need to deliver that we can demonstrate. Sure. It's a different concept than here's where I am. Yep. really very different. Yeah, and, I, and I think, and I think um, whether you schedule it outright like that, or I've also seen it happen and, you know, maybe this is different than what you're saying, but there is a commonality. I see that 
as soon as possible, you are doing integration, right? Even if it's just like well, yeah. half, half put together piece of hardware with some of the things there, we're doing integration as soon as well, possible. Okay. Finding out the unknown. Yeah. Remember, part of the question was, um, maybe you didn't ask it, but part of the question that I thought you were going to ask was, how do you get deliver reliably against deadlines? Okay. Mm. And so if I assume a deadline is I'm going to deliver this capability to this customer on this time, which almost every engineering firm can do. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you have a contract to build a, you know, uh, we, we have systems, road systems that are built or, uh, you know, systems on our roof or something like that. Okay. There is an idea of when it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and an agreement that we will be able to deliver it for this amount of money in this basic time frame. So the question is how, if you've got this, this is the capabilities we're going to deliver in this time frame. You can never promise what is impossible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or, or what you've never done before, but you can promise what your, your capabilities allow you to. Okay. We've, we've never done anything like that, but we have the people that have done all of the pieces and we believe, you know, we used to do brand new control systems with completely different components than ever before. But we did control systems, okay? And we knew how to put in new components. So we would always say it's going to take us like, you know, 18 months or something like that um, because that's how long a control system takes. Then if you spread out your integrating events along the timeline, you know what you need to demonstrate at each one to show that in 18 months, I'm going to have this much capability proven and, and deployable. And so what you're doing to hit the deadline is to understand that, first of all, you committed to a deadline because it's not outside the capabilities of what you, the kind of stuff that this capable group of people has done before. Mm -hmm. You know, we had built control systems for manufacturing plants for a long time, not computerized because that was new at the time, but, you know, there was lots of electronics. So we could we could commit to a deadline and we could commit to all kinds of new technology, but then we had to prove it out on a cadence Yeah. where yeah. this step was done. If you look at how Toyota does new car lines, that's exactly yeah. what they do. So I, I think that... Uh... I, th I think I, I might see where um, maybe we're talking a little bit about two different things, right? So yep, I think so. Um, the uh, I think Austin, you might be talking about maybe SaaS products like software as a service, where they're constantly evolving. They're never uh, they're never really unavailable. They're just getting new features all the time. And Mary and Tom, I think you're talking about full-fledged systems that get deployed um, into uh, into kind of a maybe a static environment so in that in that delivery scenario I introduce um, a new car I do, I do yeah. I start up a line in a plant I open exactly. a road to traffic I have my solar system working that kind of stuff mm -hmm. yeah so and, so and you... in that kind of stuff where engineers are are going to say we can do this it's in their experience you expect them to tell you when it's going to be done approximately mm -hmm. and given their capabilities, you expect them to know their workload and how much capability you can put it at. And we expect our solar system to be May. 
Yes. And, and so, yeah. And I think that was like, that's the key <laughs> thing there. So, and, and I totally agree with you on that because like, if you've created a de delivery system in the past and, uh, and you're going to deploy a new one in the United States, but you've only done it locally before you, you may know, uh, you know, about how long each component part takes, but maybe in the new scenario, you have to assemble all, all of those component pieces and then engineer specifically for specific constraints. Um, but like, I also think that that all translates very well into the SaaS product, but, but with this idea of an integration cadence where, um, where you are targeting uh, new um, capabilities and you know that there will be hardware in the future and firmware, and you, you may put a simulator and stand up that simulator and prove that it all works together on a, on a regular cadence. And so that cadence can be really good. Um, and, uh, but while at the same time, it's not, um, it's not rebuilding the entire system. It's like developing a new capability that you've never done before. Uh, and, and then, and then making sure that you can deploy it, that those integrations work. And so I think, I think both scenarios are probably accurate, but different. Um, yeah. And increasingly common these days is digital engineering. Mm -hmm. And that means that you don't start with a blueprint in the drawing board. You start with digital um, versions of what you're designing. And the sophistication for both electrical and mechanical hardware design are dramatically a lot better than they were a decade or two or three ago. Yeah. You design an entire airplane down to the tiniest detail digitally before you start any actual physical machining. Um, yeah. yeah. We've seen that in uh, fighter design in um, Sweden where the digital simulations were evaluated by test pilots in their flight simulators, and they would trade off different options in their hardware and software design digitally with experienced pilots. And um, after lunch, they would give feedback on uh, what they had. Free lunch. <laughs> That's how they got the pilots to come. <laughs> give feedback and they would adjust the um, hardware choices and the um, operational software choices based on that feedback. And the result is a fighter plane that pilots absolutely love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can get that feedback loop uh, yeah. and, and incorporate that into the new designs before everything is all said and done. Yeah, and totally agree. Totally agree with that. And I know you got to close it out, Chris, but I will close a little bit on that last question before you do is um, you did help me with the, the emotional therapy part of it. So thank you. And <laughs> uh, that, um, you know, all the things you said um, are all things that you can take responsibility for and do. And ultimately, it doesn't change the end value stream, right? Because even if I'm iterating quickly against a simulator against unit tests, it's not putting something in the customer's hands as quickly as our piece of it you know, can operate, but it's doing everything I can. And that, that, that definitely helps. Yeah. Actually, heard something you can't walk away from it. You, you have to be oh. in sync with the other people and move at their pace. Move Typically at their the pace. hardware pace is going to govern the actual delivery pace. And yes. you have to figure out how to work in sync with that. Yeah. 
But of course, once the hardware is deployed, you can continue updating the software. Yes. Uh, yes, add your software as a electric service vehicle part. market is learning how to do that. Yeah. That features come whenever they're ready and the hardware doesn't need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally see that. And then I think maybe my personal stretch is to take off the software hat and say, hey, it, let's think about the product as a whole. Yeah. And how is there any responsibility I can take to relieve the bottleneck hardware, software, firmware, whatever. Right. You know, and so um, that's uh, that is more challenging for someone who's comfortable in the little spot. Uh, yeah, but 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 if you think about the team, the way we talked about it, the team is the team for delivering yeah. the product to the customer. And you're right. part of that team just because you happen to be doing software doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to help the whole team out to deliver a really good product on time. It's part of your job. It's just part of being on that team. If you think of yourself as just a software team, then you get to walk away and say, well, call me when you're ready. Yep. If you're looking at the interaction of your customer with your product and you become aware that they're having real trouble with something and the source of the trouble is hardware, that doesn't mean it's not your problem make sure that gets fixed. Yeah, 100%. And, and having that responsibility uh, is super important. And there's lots and lots of, uh, of developers out there that are now working on IoT that were originally just very software oriented, right? So, <laughs> oh my uh, gosh, <laughs> there's yeah, another world out here. <laughs> it's exploded, you know, in the number of, uh, of scenarios because, you know, every little thing now has a connected device to it, or at least yep. a, a mobile app that interacts with the, the, the main app. So um, we are a, a little bit out of time. So I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll kind of um, bounce off of that idea and say to all of you developers out there who know, uh, know somebody or are yourself um, uh, working with IoT, for example, or, or maybe just some uh, level of hardware software integration, uh, definitely share this episode with them. And uh, Mary and Tom, thank you for both coming on the show again. Uh, I, you know, I know we said this last time, but if, if there's anything that you wanted to plug or share uh, besides what we already covered, um, now would be <laughs> um, No, well. probably not. We, we wrote four books. They might be interesting, but they're also not new. And <laughs> but what we really want you to do is uh, make sure that you do your part to make products that are software empowered, really good products. Awesome. And uh, so with that, um, like, subscribe. Thank you very much for watching and we'll see you all next time. Bye everybody. Bye.